This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Leon Logan-Nathan and with me from about four and a half thousand kilometres away, give or take, Mr. Peter Gowers just outside of lockdown. Mate, it was amazing. You, you, you no doubt saw my post that I put up. Uh, we were sitting uh, in the car having just uh, picked up a uh, little customary beverage uh, of hot, <laughs> the hot variety from the Golden Arches down the road. And um, Commandant Dan came on the radio and we were just assuming it would be one of his normal press conferences, crapping on how he does. And um, just randomly out of the blue he goes, oh, and by the way, Regional Victoria, uh, because you've done such a great job and there are no cases there, blah, 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 you're out of lockdown from tonight, 11.59. And we were just cheering big time. So it's back to relatively normal. Um, the only thing that they're, uh, they're sort of mindful of is uh, stopping the Melburnians from escaping. And so they've ramped up the fines for people who are found to be a certain distance away from where they're meant to be. Right. Are they making their way up here, are they? They're making their way everywhere but Melbourne, if they can. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, it was on your request, Pete, that I reached out to our guest uh, for uh, this podcast. Mm. I had the privilege of meeting her at the Luxor Festival last year. <laughs> judges. Yeah. And you know how much you enjoy um, talking sport and yes. how much I enjoy talking food. <laughs> so um, I'm delighted to say that this guest had specifically requested that in addition to anything else that we might like to discuss, that we should talk about food. So Love it. I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'd like to introduce you and our listeners to Sam McHugh. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Leon and Peter. Welcome, Sam. Uh, I um I did say to Leon, mate, I'm getting increasingly frustrated with how people speak in this country, so I need someone that I can uh, sort of banter with on that topic. So that, that will be a long way down the track, but we'll get to that. And Gosh, I'm really feeling the pressure now. <laughs> and I have to disclose, Sam, that uh, my mother is an English teacher or was. Uh, <laughs> she still teaches English, um, even though she's 78. Um, Good for her. And and so anytime I'm around someone who is uh, of the same qualification as my mother, I get very nervous about, about how I speak, uh, my sentence construction, grammar, the, the whole thing. Leon, I'm sure I know far less than your mother about grammar. <laughs> Well, let's get into your story, Sam. Um, you're obviously in the Territory. Where exactly are you at the moment right now? At this moment, I am in Rapid Creek. I'm in my, my home office. And when I say to people I live in Rapid Creek, I'm always quick to say I live in the suburb, not the waterway. Any confusion. Yeah, so the, the Southerners tend to get very tickled when you say that, you know, um, I drove to Fanny Bay. <laughs> I, went, I went to Humpty Doo. 
yeah. we do have some interesting names, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so um, were you uh, born in Darwin or in the Territory? No, no. I was actually born in St Kilda. Uh, I was going to say Melbourne. Right, you wow. just had that sort of poshness that Pete's mother has. <laughs> well, I'm sure Pete's mother is a lovely, lovely person, but I'm not quite sure where the poshness comes from because I uh, grew up mostly in Papua New Guinea and Queensland, uh, have spent very little time in Melbourne. So <laughs> um, right. I'm not sure if I'll take the poshness as a um, as a compliment or not. I'll, I'll reserve my judgment on that. Well, it is a compliment. <laughs> Uh, St Kilda, Pete, over yep. to you. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in fairness, and I really don't want to date Sam here, but, um, you know, when I grew up in Melbourne, uh, St Kilda certainly wasn't known for its poshness at the time. No. Um, it has come a long way, though. It's, it's yeah. uh, a yeah. seaside suburb, but you would never, uh, well, back in the heyday, yes, but not the 70s and 80s and 90s. You wouldn't have gone anywhere near the sea. Yeah. Uh, for fear of standing on a needle or God knows what yeah, else. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're talking 60s and my parents were young and poor. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what an amazing place because it's also, you know, the home to, uh, well, Melbourne's known for its live music scene oh. and there's some amazing venues in St Kilda oh. uh, for music and, uh, oh. you know, comedy and, and everything else. But, of oh. course, now it's it's a... Uh, you know, expensive place to live and oh, you know, it's got oh. beautiful restaurants on the beach. Yeah, I, I do love Melbourne and and restaurants are, are one of the reasons, <laughs> that, of course. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, no, it's a wonderful place. Really, really love it. Yeah. Yep. So, so you don't us- breakfast in Kilda though, do you, Sam? I'm sorry, what was that? Peter? You don't barrack for St Kilda, do you? Um, well, I, I think I'm kind of forced to um, okay. because I was born there and I was actually, uh, speaking of, of dating people, um, I was actually born there when the year that St Kilda won the grand final. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're locked and, in for life then. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I met and married a St Kilda fan. So, oh, yeah, like well, that's kind of non-negotiable now, I'm afraid. Yeah. And just to sort of explain that to Leon, who is a non-football um, <laughs> follower, that's Sorry, nor- before you start. Yeah. Okay, before yeah. you even start. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you everything I know about the St Kilda Football Club. Right. Nick Rewalt. Yeah. Um, look, I, I don't know why, and I know this is probably wrong because he did play for Sydney for a long time, but did Plugger play for St Kilda? Yeah, that's where he oh, made his go. name originally. There you yeah. go. Okay. That's, for, that's very well done. Guess um, what, Leon, you know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, But I do remember that when I was interested in, in AFL and was following it, uh, St Kilda was always at the bottom of the ladder. That, oh. that was my Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say my, my – um, the thing that Sam didn't mention when she talked about uh, her St Kilda supporting partner is that sentence is usually prefaced by long-suffering St Kilda supporter. <laughs> <laughs> My so, husband's uh, more into rugby league, so it's nice. not a that we that we have a lot. Yeah, Excellent. Okay, so he's a Melbourne Storm fan then. I like it. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, Sam. Like you, Sydney Rabbitoh. Oh, you're killing me. Okay. Uh, Russell Crowe territory. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Predated Russell Crowe's involvement. So, yeah, he's right. made a long term. He's stuff. rusted on. Oh, yeah, he yeah. is. Pete thinks I'm a complete sport Gumby, but I actually. <laughs> 
um, read widely enough to, to, you know, just soak up little tidbits here. And there. <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough to be dangerous. What I like to do is when I'm when I'm in the car and I hear a little thing on the radio, I save it away and then I, I come home and I say to my husband and or my son, yeah. oh, you know, I think, um, you know, Storm's really going to be struggling because of that injury. And, <laughs> but they see right through me. Right. So you said your parents were poor um, and, and what? No, I can't remember. Oh, they were just young. You know, young, young and poor, right? Well, I wouldn't give them as young hippies, but Dad was a civil engineer, okay. which is what took him to, you know, to took our young family to, to Papua New Guinea when right. I was, um, yeah, a couple of years old and uh, my young brother uh, and my sister was actually born in Port Moresby. So um, we spent oh, wow. most of our kind of early childhood in, in Port Moresby and Mount Hagen and then Bougainville Island. Mm. Uh, we, we have spoken to so many people we have. on this podcast that have spent time in New Guinea. It's just, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. I mean, I am very surprised at the number of people that have spent time in New Guinea. Yeah, it would be interesting to see some stats on it, wouldn't it? Be, and I think uh, there seem to be some similarities between that sort of that culture where you, you know, for us as, as Australians kind of going to this uh, totally different place to, you know, as a young adult, going to a totally different place, like taking a risk, doing something new, experiencing something different. There's there are certainly parallels, I think, between the people, the kinds of people who make their way to the territory and the kinds of people who make their way to to places like Papua New Guinea. Mm. And so, how how many years did you spend there? Uh, seven years. Okay, yeah. so you, you can remember yeah. it, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, so we had a couple of years in Brisbane sort of in the middle, uh, but I spent um, my most of my primary school years there and did um, I think about half of year eight on Bougainville Island uh, through via correspondence. So, wow. And because I was always a big reader, yeah. uh, correspondence, suited me just fine <laughs> right and you said you had a younger oh, right. brother i'm sorry what was that you said you had a uh, you said you had a younger brother a younger brother yes and, uh, and a younger sister yeah oh okay so yeah. and how many years apart yeah. were they yeah my brother was 13 months younger than me mm -hmm. uh, so very close <laughs> and my sister is about four and a half years younger right. than me yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah. So uh, I didn't really have a lot of appreciation for New Guinea, but I did read uh, a few months ago uh, the um, book by Peter Fitzsimons, Kokoda, mm. and it just really opened my mind up to what that place must be like because its I don't think it's like anything we have here in Australia, is it? No. Well, it's obviously an incredibly... Um, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful place. I mean, I haven't been there since 1990, um, mm. but it's a, a physically absolutely beautiful place. But the terrain is such that um, there's not a lot of uh, opportunity for people to travel easily from one region to another, and there's also sadly a lot of uh, corruption and. There's yeah, obviously a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you remember the size of the insects there? 
<laughs> I do actually remember, funnily enough, I remember a be- beautiful uh, big butterflies, the big blue and black butterflies. I can't remember the name of them. If you're doing any research on the run, Leon, this might be a good thing to research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do remember those beautiful big blue butterflies that, um, you know, it was like something out of a out of a cartoon. They were incredible. and. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean the natural. Were, um, you know, we just lived in a in a suburb, but we were uh, very close to a beautiful river, uh, a beach that was like the the sort of the cliche of the of the clear turquoise waters and the palm trees on the white sand. It, it was physically such a beautiful place, and I'm sure it still is. Although, yeah, obviously, um, lots of very very complex problems in uh, Papua New Guinea and many of our other neighbours at the moment. Yeah, because yeah, when I looked at the geography of Bougainville, I didn't realise how far off New Guinea it was. I mean, it's virtually yeah. where the Solomon Islands are. Yeah, know? well, it's physically part of the, I think it was the Solomon Islands province or something. Geography is not really one of my strong points. But, yes, mm-hmm. it is a long way off the mainland uh, and obviously a very wealthy island Um uh, and that's led to to lots of issues. Yeah, I mean, Sam, well, in terms of resources. Yeah, Sam, you said from there you ended up in Brisbane. I'm just interested to know because I've known a lot of people along the way who have ended up from a PNG, specifically Bougainville, oh. uh, and ended up in Brisbane. Is that due to geography, or is that just coincidence? Well, I, I'm not sure. Um, I I. The the Brisbane years were a couple of years in the middle of my primary schooling and then we went back to to um, Bougainville. Um, but, I mean, that's where my, my mother lives now and many of her friends, you know, people who I've, I've known my whole life that that I met as a child in PNG. A lot of them live there, so I'm not sure what it is. I mean, maybe it's the weather, mm. maybe it's just chance. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah but okay. but I can tell you that all of those ex PNG friends of my parents, they love Darwin. <laughs> oh, really? They really do. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, they'll come and visit at the drop of a hat. Yeah, right. If, if you know. <laughs> restrictions permitting of course yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, so your mother still lives there yeah, she lives in brisbane yes oh she lives right in brisbane yeah. okay yeah. all right yeah. right um and uh so when did you end up coming back to australia um i came back uh sort of i was around about year eight um came to Mackay in central Queensland, which is where I did my journalism cadetship. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I I think I've always pretty much lived in the tropics despite having been born in Melbourne. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And and so what, I mean, Mackay is is not quite close to Brisbane, nor is it close to Cairns. No, my my father had a a business there. Um, uh with his brother um and yeah i mean that's just kind of where we where we washed up i suppose um and i think i lived there for probably about 10 years before i came to the territory um yeah so i did my journalism cadetship and um that's what brought me what brought me here yeah oh so who did you work for uh well 
<laughs> I have to confess, I did come <laughs> here to work for the NT News. Right. Um, <laughs> I came, I, I completed my cadetship and uh, worked, worked as a journalist for, for a bit, but then I came to work at the NT News as a sub-editor. Um, and, yeah, I just I thought I was going to stay in the Territory for maybe a year. That's a good uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a Guilty. very familiar story. Um, yeah, so I've now been here for 33 years. So wow. mm. I exceeded my timeline by 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so after the NT News, where did you go? Uh, look, I did um, various roles. Uh, I worked in government. I worked as a uh, media advisor to a minister. Uh, but what is it now? 26 years ago, I started working for myself. Maybe, yeah, 26 years ago, I started working for myself because at that point I had young children uh, and it wasn't, you know, I discovered that that wasn't really compatible with uh, full-time high-pressure kind of work. Um, so I started working for myself and that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since and I'm very fortunate and I think it's characteristic of the of the territory that you can actually make, make a go of it like that. I mean, it's quite a long time to be in business as a small business person. Um, so it's, it's worked out very well for me, yeah. Mm. And you said your husband is from St Kilda, but did you know him? No, my husband, <laughs> my husband barracks for St Kilda. Oh, so he's a long-suffering St Kilda. Oh, oh, oh sorry. I just assumed uh, he was born No, there, my no. husband was born in Brisbane right. uh, and also lived in Mount Isa. And what brought him and his brothers to the Territory was that their father was the general manager of ANSET Airlines. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, so, a, a great airline. <laughs> yes, yeah, in, in its day it definitely was. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's why they were here. And so they, I think my husband came here when he was about 13 or 14 uh, and went through Cyclone Tracy and, yeah, but, I mean, this is, this is home for all of us um and it's funny actually my mother and her friends sometimes her friends will sometimes say oh so um do you think you'll stay in darwin <laughs> 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 and i sometimes feel like saying uh probably do you think you'll stay in brisbane <laughs> it's the same thing this is my home <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but it right. is interesting, isn't it, how it's often seen as a bit of a stepping stone to somewhere yeah. else, yeah. but we all know how how much it has to offer. Yeah. I think once you reach the 30-year uh, anniversary too that uh, chances oh. are it's it's uh, part of your life at that point. It's not just yeah. a two-year stint and then I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm. Plus, it's the weather as well. I mean, I was talking to my sister just now, and she's in Perth. And I said, uh, how's, the, how's the weather? And she said, oh, it's just ridiculously cold. I said, how cold is it? She said, oh, I don't know, but it just feels really cold. You know, it, it, the minimums are going down to three or five. Oh. The rain is falling sideways. And I said, but that's a good thing, isn't it, getting rain? <laughs> <laughs> they don't enjoy it. They don't no. enjoy it. 
It's so funny, isn't it? When I visit people interstate and if it's raining, it's like they're apologising to me. Oh, I'm so sorry about the weather. What a shame you weren't here last week. The weather was beautiful. And we're like, but actually we really love the rain. We do. <laughs> yeah, we do love it. Uh, especially uh, those those very, very tropical downpours in the middle of the night, you know. Yes, just so beautiful. Just come in waves. When you look at the, the map, the rain map, you can mm. see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, and I right. think a, another interesting thing about the way we look at weather compared to people in other parts of Australia is that, uh, you know, I often hear my friends on, this, on the uh, East Coast say, oh, it's a great day to go to the beach. And I think, go to the beach? <laughs> Son, that's ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. So, talking of which, Pete, how how cold is it there tonight? Uh, well, we're going to be enjoying a balmy six degrees tonight. Um, not too bad. <laughs> I, the, the day I got here, I, I rang my woodman and ordered a whole load of wood, and to, to get me through the week and a half. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's funny because like today, for example, was sunny, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's beautiful." Like beautiful, it's like sixteen degrees. It's oh. horrific, you know. If, if we got sixteen degrees overnight in Darwin, we'd be complaining about that being too cold. We would, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's, it, yeah, you, you can't. It's difficult to, um, f- you know, feel it when you're sitting in beautiful tropical northern areas. But it's just, oh. you wake up with sore fingers and sore toes, and things oh. ache that didn't ache two days ago when you're in Darwin. So it's oh. just, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just not geared up for old people like me. <laughs> it also makes it sort of slightly difficult for us, doesn't it? Because there's always that Darwin Alice Springs kind of uh, disconnect, oh, if you like. That's very true. Uh, mm. and, I, and I think part of that is because Alice Springs probably relates more to our southern uh, capitals than they do to us. Mm. I know when I visit Alice Springs for work, uh, people will say to me, oh, did you come up from Adelaide? You know, it's as if, you know, the idea of coming down from Darwin is not often on their radar. It's kind of more likely that people would come up from Adelaide. I just find that an interesting little quirk of Alice Springs. Yeah, in in fairness as well, Sam, um, you know, if I ran into 100 people uh, down the street anywhere in Darwin, you know, I I doubt I'd find 99 of them with an accent like yours. I know. I was going to say that. So, you know, it's it's often the question of what I call the educated sounding accent is like, well, you can't be from here, so where are you from? Oh, that's yeah. quite interesting. Sam, seriously, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't believe that you've never heard this conversation before, but, I mean, North Queensland, I know what North, what North Queensland <laughs> sounds like. You do not sound like North Queensland. Well, I haven't, uh, I didn't live there for all that long, um, but it was funny, actually, a friend of my mother's, um, recently I was down there and, and she said she said to me, oh, you're just like your mother, you're posh but down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I am going to take that as yeah. a compliment. Yeah, that's right. So was your mother a, a, an English teacher or what was? No, my, my mother is very nicely spoken. Um, my mother is, oh, where was mum born? Somewhere in Victoria. Um, but, yeah, she's, right. very well, she's very well spoken. Mm. 
Well, we've had Pete, Pete's mother on the podcast because uh, uh, I've never met her in, in person, and there are some alarming similarities between the way you speak and the way <laughs> I heard her. So it's oh, definitely a, a I Melbourne really thing. I find this very interesting because I didn't, I've never really thought of it as being an issue. <laughs> well, it's not an issue, but it uh, it certainly defines you in a way. I mean, you oh. know, the, we. You've been in the territory long enough to know that uh, the the accent here is depending on where you are, whether you're know, in north, northern suburbs or Palmerston yep. or Barton Sticks. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's varied. It's definitely varied. Definitely mm, varied. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, all of this took you. Uh, oh, sorry and. You met your husband here, you said that. I did, yes. 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 Uh, And you have always been in journalism? uh, Well, actually, when I left school, I wanted to be an art teacher. Art was my thing, although I'd always quite liked, right, you know, I always found it relatively easy to sort of write essays and and so on because I've always been a, a really big reader. But art was my thing. I really thought I was going to be an art teacher. Uh, that lasted, I think, about six months before I realised that art teaching was not going to be for me because it didn't really involve an awful lot of art. <laughs> 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 uh, and then I, I worked as a graphic artist for a short time and then I kind of drifted into journalism because my mother was working at the local paper in uh, advertising and, yeah, I just kind of drifted into this role where I was doing some writing and then kind of drifted into a cadetship. Uh, and, yeah, it just seems to be my thing. I mean, I don't really do a lot of what you would call journalism now apart from the articles that I write for, for example, Qantas magazine um, because, oh, this isn't the the reason i guess but it's a it's a factor uh it doesn't pay very well write writing for those kinds of publications writing for websites uh, freelance writing uh, you know there's there's not a lot of money in it there's a lot of people producing a lot of content Mm. and it's it's not easy to make a living purely from that i'm very fortunate that I also love the the other side of my work, which is the the training training people in workplace writing. That's the that's really the main thing that I do, and I really love it. And that kind of allows me to do the other thing that I love, which is the food and travel writing. Mm, right, and so that's what you do now. You train people in in write. You run writing workshops and things. Yeah, like that. that's that's the main thing that I do. So. Uh, when I first went into business 25-ish years ago, I was working as a freelance editor and writer for mainly sort of government and corporate clients. And then after a while I thought the changes that I'm making to these people's work, I'm doing the same things over and over again. <laughs> Maybe I should just teach them how to do it. And I remember <laughs> having this, this little warning bell going off in my brain, hang on, if you teach them how to do it, You'll put yourself out of a job, um, but that's actually not what happened. Um, no, no. So I've been running workplace writing training now for sixteen years, right. and recently 
created an online version of my writing training. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. Right. And how many times have you trained the same people over and over again? <laughs> Quite a few, actually. <laughs> no Did doubt. you have something you wanted to say to that, Leah? <laughs> no, I just put my hand up being one of those people that you have trained uh, multiple times. Oh, uh, well, I hope it hasn't been too boring. But what I always say to people is, um, you know, just think of it as a refresher. Think of it as being a refresher. It's, it's a little bit like health and nutrition information. We all know what we should be doing. Um, sometimes it's good to have a reminder and to have a reminder of the the benefits of applying these good habits. So ordin ordinarily that's actually not a bad idea, but um, if I take Leon's personality into account and suggest <laughs> that a certain percentage of the population are like him, you're yeah. actually much better off coming into the room next time, Sam, and saying, right, all of you failed this last time, <laughs> now you need to pass this time. <laughs> what, Maybe what that's what I need to be doing. <laughs> One of my clients bought bought me a little plaque that's in my office and it just says I'm silently correcting your grammar <laughs> I have that t-shirt <laughs> uh, but it's funny you know a lot of people uh, you know clients or friends will say oh I wanted to send you an email but I was too scared that you go over it with a red pen but let me tell you I'm very very tolerant of the of the ways that people write because I my uh, sort of attitude is if you get the result that you're after from that piece of writing that's that's the thing that matters and sorry okay. and, you know, I might disagree with your mother on this Leon um, but to me it's not about getting it 100% correct it's about um, being effective and achieving your outcome that's the mm. kind of thing that I try to try to teach people because a lot of people in workplaces they can often feel quite anxious about their writing. They do have that fear of the red pen or the track yep. changes, uh, and that can sometimes make them too scared to have a go or they procrastinate. They don't, you know, they put off the writing task and then put it off and put it off and put it off. Um, so a big part of my training is kind of giving people back the confidence. Like you, it doesn't matter if you are no good at English at school, you can still learn how to how to write an effective email. Right. Well, I should let you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever met this lady, Jo Robertson. I have met Jo have Robertson. You? Right. Yeah. So you seem to be a clone of Jo Robertson, at least in relation to... <laughs> I was first. Oh, you were first. Right. I think so, maybe just because I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> so Jo Robertson wandered into my life I don't know how long ago. She's actually been on the podcast and uh, she ran a, uh, this this type of course that, you, that you're talking about Yeah. for our firm. Uh, and... She waltz in there and the boardroom is you know, full of lawyers, a room full of lawyers, and she says, what do you think you're, uh, where do you think you, you stand? Yeah. You know, and yeah. Just get, rate yourself out of one to ten and everyone was, you know, nine, nine or ten. You know? <laughs> Eleven. Um, <laughs> and then she did her course. Yeah. And then she asked us to rate ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Goodness, I thought I was good at English. Yeah. Right. I must say the, the most challenging groups I find, um, look, I'm not going to point the finger just at lawyers. Go on, do it. But <laughs> lawyers and 
teachers. Right. <laughs> often because a lot of their role has in, has already involved writing, um, right. they, they will sometimes feel a bit, um, you know, they, they will feel, you know, I already know how to write. Why, why do I need yeah, to yeah. write? Um, the ones that I find most open to learning more about writing effectively actually are um, are scientists. They're the ones who, wow. are, who are very aware that they have their area of expertise and that they perhaps they need to learn how to, you know, they're very aware of communicating with different audiences. And they've got to learn to talk to humans as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, um, you know, I've been to, I don't know, at least three, if not more, uh, of Joe's. Refreshers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all it's done for me, I feel that, you know, my grammar's better, my punctuation is better, not grammar so much, punctuation particularly yeah. is better. The use of the semicolon, for example, oh, never knew. That's a tricky one. Yes. Love the semicolon. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly, uh, you know, I, I just find myself often being anxious when I'm writing. Oh. Um, and even when I was writing to you just now, I thought, oh, man, I better get this right. You know, oh, I'm, gonna sorry think I'm, that you felt <laughs> I'm sorry that you felt about, felt anxious about you. No, no, no. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because, you know, uh, a lot of lawyers are just perfectionists, you know. Mm. Um, and so when you're taught something, you want to perfect it. Oh. But it's just so hard oh, it is. sometimes. And I think one of the other issues is that what what we were taught years ago, uh, you know, time has moved on mm. and, you know, there is no 100% perfect to, way to write mm. anything. People have different ideas about what's going to be more effective and, and for a lot of the punctuation marks, as I'm sure you would know, Leon, being a star student of... Um, <laughs> Punctuation <laughs> courses is that there are there are certain punctuation marks where there is no totally right or wrong way to to use them. Uh, sometimes it comes down to you know cultural differences. For example, in the US, they use the serial comma or the Oxford comma, which is yes. the comma before and at the end yes. of a list. Yes. Uh, in Australia, we don't use that. Um, so sometimes there are cultural differences that we need to be aware of. There are also changing trends over time. Mm. And there are some things that are that are just personal preference, and you know what mm. your teacher might have told you. You know, thirty. You, you know, teachers used to say, "Oh, you put a comma in where you put a pause." Well, that's actually not correct, but, <laughs> but because it's such an easy rule to remember, a lot of people think, "Oh, that's the rule for a comma." So yeah, there's a lot of grey areas when it comes to punctuation and every other part of part of writing. Yeah. I'm a fairly resilient person, as you know, mm -hmm. but that conversation right there has increased my anxiety. Because <laughs> no I'm thinking, oh, my God, I have been using the Oxford comma quite a lot lately <laughs> because I, I just find I've just become really comfortable with it. Yeah. I never touched it before yeah. I met Joe. Yeah. And then 
and then I re- and then I saw the examples of when you use it. And I was oh. Like, oh, that does make a lot of sense. Well, just tell everyone you're American, and it'll be perfectly. Yeah, be all good. <laughs> <laughs> use a lot more Zs instead of Ss, and yeah. no one will know. Yeah. <laughs> right. So Pete wanted you on the podcast because he has a, a number of issues with <laughs> language. So not myself, with other people. Just uh, throw it over to him to to you know ask his questions. Sure. Well, it all it all stemmed from. Um, well, actually, I'll take you back, right? So, Leon and I did a podcast some time ago, and during that podcast, um, whatever whatever transpired, there was a need to refer to the letter H during oh. during that conversation, and Leon did, but he referred to it in the way that. Uh, where I grew up, you wouldn't say it in a million years. Oh. And so I, of course, I didn't out him at the time, but I bided my time and afterwards and I said, mate, what is going on? And then he very correctly explained to me that it, it has become a way of teaching kids to say H because it, I was always taught it's the only letter in the alphabet that actually doesn't have its own letter yes. and you can spell it, right? So speaking of T-shirts, I actually made a T-shirt a few years ago and all it said was it's H, not H, right? Oh. But I've since learned that a lot of that's to do with, you know, English as a second language oh. and, and trying to understand it. So I'm a little more comfortable with that. But I was listening to an ad and I'm happy to say, uh, on a local radio station uh, a few weeks ago. I won't say the station, of course, but um, I heard two words that I almost crashed the car at the time. And one is it's become a thing now. Instead of saying new, yes, people are now saying new. Mm. And I've heard it in South Australia, mm. but... I just, I don't know where this is coming from. And I'm hearing institution saying <laughs> constantly. And I'm like, are we just now, like, we don't know who we are anymore? Or are we just uh, taking everything that the Americans say and just throwing it into the odd word here and there? Um, so let's start with those things, shall we? Okay. Well, Firstly, a disclaimer, I'm more about the writing than the speaking, <laughs> what you were saying earlier. You're as close to an expert as we're going to get. But the examples that you've given are definitely Americanisms. But I think there's a, a danger in thinking that just because we hear these things, someone has deliberately decided, oh, I want to sound more American. Mm. I think it's probably more a matter of much of the content that people are hearing is American and so those things creep in kind of inadvertently. Okay. Uh, so probably the people who are using that those pronunciations are probably not thinking, oh, I want to sound more American. It's just that those sounds are more familiar to them and that's what comes out when they, when they speak. That's mm. my feeling. Mm. Uh, but the other aspect of what you're talking about is you know, people sometimes say to me, oh, you know, the dictionary, I can't believe the dictionary, the latest version of the dictionary has got that word in it. You know, yeah. that, that shouldn't be a proper word. That's not, that's not right. So apparently there's two, there's two camps when it comes to language. There's the 
prescriptivists who are the ones <laughs> who say this is right and this is wrong and you should only ever do the thing that is right. And then these the descriptivists who actually describe or record what's what's happening with language. And language is a is a living, changing Evolving. because we're a living, changing society and the ways that we react with other communities are, yeah. are always changing. Um, so there's there's the view that we should do what's right and stick with the way we've always done things. And mm-hmm. then it's the view that things are going to change and we just need to kind of go with the flow. So I think what you're, I'm guessing that you're probably more of a, we should do the way that, <laughs> we should well, do the way that Australians have always done them. It's a, it's a really good, it's a really good conversation. And, and from what you've just described, you're probably right. But just touching on that point, so a word that's crept into the vernacular in recent times is irregardless. Oh, God. <laughs> now, someone told me to my shock and awe recently that it is now in the dictionary. Oh. It is, is not it? a word. It is people who don't know the word is irrespective or they're trying to say regardless, but they just muddle the two. And for some unknown reason, we've chucked it in the dictionary. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to bring my descriptivist Good. Perspective to bear on this. Good. <laughs> um, if people are using it as a word and it actually communicates a meaning to others, then it is a word. It may be a non-standard word that is not correct in formal workplace writing or in formal writing of any kind, but mm. if it's a word that creates meaning in someone else's brain, then it is a word. So... So we're rewarding people for getting it completely the opposite. Um, well, I, I, I think that irregardless is a terrible word. <laughs> I agree with you there. Irregardless um, of when you use it. Yeah. <laughs> regardless or irrespective <laughs> of when you use it. Um, mm. But I, I remember having an exchange with a, a friend of mine a few months ago who is a, a very skilled writer. Mm. And I can't remember how it came came up, but but the point is that the word use, Y-O-U-S or Y-O-U-S-E, uh, yeah. is in the dictionary. Now, it's it is a word. It's a non-standard word. You wouldn't mm. um you you wouldn't be putting it in your you know performance review document. Um yep. but it is actually a word, even though it's not to be used in most kind of formal writing. Yeah. Um and I so I I'm fairly open-minded about that, like mm. words have their places. Yep. But I think it's also important to recognise that a lot of the words that we use and we we think are perfectly legitimate words, decades ago or generations ago or centuries ago, they wouldn't have been considered to yeah. be words. So That's I true. think it can be painful for us when we see words that we personally don't like mm. being given some kind of status. Yeah. But it's the reality of the language that we have. And that's one of the reasons that the English language is so wonderful is because it is so adaptable. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's um the language of business. And I believe and I'm not sure if Leon's going to do any research on this. Just <laughs> heads up here, Leon. I believe that there are more speakers of English in the world today who were not 
um, English is not their mother tongue. So there are more speakers of English language who speak it as a second language than there are uh, English as their first language. Interesting. Wow. I, yeah. That's yeah. a very interesting yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, Pete, you're absolutely spot on about the etymology of irregardless. I am still having a physical reaction to Yeah. Just disgust me. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, but, but one thing, Pete, uh, it, it's not actually new. Right. Uh, first known use of irregardless, 1795. Who used it? The Yanks? Uh, I don't know. But if I had been around, I would, yeah. I would have dueled someone over Yeah, that. beheaded them. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I also find interesting is that um, uh, uh, while we speak English, it's often the English themselves who butcher their own language the most. Mm. And so when you say a word like use, I know that Australians use it. In fact, buy swap and, buy swap and sell would melt down without it. But <laughs> the, the POMs use that word a lot as well, particularly oh. in the northern part. So I guess in many cases we, we sort of take those words and, and fit them, mm. you know, where, the, where they kind of fit. So oh. I, I didn't um, I didn't know that there was a category of words called non-standard. I, I knew there were words and then there were oh. slangs, but yeah. this is something in between. Well, if you look up in an old school dictionary, um, it will tell you, you know, this is formal or this is non-standard right. or, um, you, you know, this is the American usage, this is the UK usage. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, dictionaries are pretty good with giving you little clues about yep. how and where it's appropriate to, to use certain words, mm. even though some people might hate them. My advice, of course, is they always think about your audience. So, so, uh, Peter, if I were writing to you, yeah. I would not use the word irregardless. <laughs> never use the word irregardless anyway. <laughs> but I would exactly. definitely not use it if I'm writing to you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm um, a violent man, but <laughs> that could any drive use of that word in front of me would just, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. it would be as bad, almost as bad as uh there's a few other gems out there right now. As you see, a lot. Um, um, uh, I'm just sorry. I'll look, it'll come to me in a bit. But look, while I'm thinking about that, yes. there is one thing that I spend a uh, consumes my mind mm. to do this properly. <laughs> Data. Yes, I, mm. I've noticed that that is. It used to be data when I was growing up. Yes. But my kids are saying data mm -hmm. and it is really annoying. Oh. <laughs> um, what do we do to push back? Well, well you can't um, duel your kids, can you? You have to come up with another solution. Actually, the Northern Territory laws on disciplining kids are quite broad. So <laughs> yeah. We've looked into that. <laughs> I thought you were going to raise the issue of data being plural. Uh, so, ah. Oh, no, hang on, I'm confused now. Datum is ah, yes. singular. Or datum. Yeah, so datum is singular mm. and data mm. is plural. So we sh really should be saying the data show rather than the data shows. 
I thought that's where you were going. Ah, look at that. No, that's way too pronunci- technical for Leon. Yes. <laughs> so just the, the pronunciation of, or, yeah. you know, um, defence. Yeah. With an S. That's that's an American thing too, oh, defence and defence. Like yeah. that. The, the other one um, uh, which, which I learned back in my radio days was schedule and schedule, oh. and I didn't know the difference. And uh, a lady in the scheduling department, very much said, well, schedule is English and schedule is American. So we, oh, we say right? schedule here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which I thought was Because I say schedule, but a good friend of mine says schedule and I yeah. have wondered about that. Yeah. yeah and uh, ne- neither bothers me. Um, the the other um, one that has come to the fore in the last couple of weeks, uh, more so than ever, is uh, the overuse of certain words, oh. which – which, when overusing them, completely uh, devalues their meaning. Mm. And and one of those, uh, which was said, uh, I think it was actually, um, I wondered if they were raising money for charity by saying this word as often as they could <laughs> during Channel 7's coverage of the Olympics. Mm. Um, you couldn't move without something being extraordinary, mm. which made them no longer extraordinary because mm. one at one point we counted, one announcer said it five times in the one sentence. Mm. Um, and and the other word of that note is iconic. Mm. Um, the, those two words for me get overused mm. just so much that their sort of precious meaning is is mm. literally now it's down. Almost like there's there's this sort of escalation of you know how do we now describe something that truly is extra, extraordinary yeah. because yeah. We, we've already used that word so many times before and taken some of the value out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm, sure what the answer is to that. I'm really happy to out this organisation, but when I heard Nippy's orange juice described as iconic the other day, I was like, no, you you just can't have an iconic orange juice. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) As much as Nippy's might like that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's wonderful and, you know, I I know that there's a sector of people who love it, but it's orange juice. Yours can't be more iconic than the next orange juice. And that's certainly something that, I mean, when I'm writing, I try to watch out for overusing phrases that have become trendy or well-used or or common, Uh, and it's often quite hard to describe food or travel in ways that haven't already been Yes. Uh, So that's one of the challenges for some of my work that one of the things that I quite enjoy is trying to find a way to describe things that that haven't been used before yeah by sounding too try hard (laughs) yeah well one of the um things that you notice particularly you know with travel bloggers and and food bloggers and that is they do come up with some amazing ways to describe things Mm. but if the reader needs a dictionary to figure out what Mm. the word means then it it's sort of you know makes it counterproductive self-defeating yeah yeah yeah. yeah, and and uh, interestingly, um, my wife is also a journalist, and one thing that she's taught me is I'll, I'll often I write exactly how I speak, mm. um, which you know can be positive and negative depending on what I'm saying. But I'll often write these long, 
you know, spurious sentences. Oh. And then, then I come back and punctuate them later and go, there's yeah. three sentences in that one sentence, you know. But and editing is so important. Yeah. Editing is such an important part of the writing process. Yeah, yeah, the fresh eyes as they call it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Even if you have to trick yourself into having fresh eyes for your own. Yeah. How do you do that, Sam? How do you do that? Uh, take a break. Um, try to structure the writing time so that you so that you are doing it in distinct sections. So I might, uh, you know, do a really rough draft and then come back to it a couple of days later and flesh out some detail and look over it again. Uh, and then before I send it, I'll do a, a, a final proofread. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's foolproof, though. There's, you know, sometimes errors creep in. <laughs> Is it the the one that gets me the most is you've read it, you've reread it, oh. you've read it the last time, you've hit send, and then you see the spelling error. Yes. I know. It's a killer, isn't it? That's um, so common. But, you know, we're all only human. Like, you know, we do our best and sometimes mm. errors happen, but we do our best. We build in strategies and techniques and tips mm. Uh, mm. to try to avoid errors but errors of the number of times I have seen pubic servants. <laughs> yes, <laughs> haven't we all? <laughs> but can I ask you about this one, Sam? Because this is a this is a um, another one that would bring me to draw my weapon <laughs> a lot. Yes, why? You- well, if you're if you're talking about A double L O T, then that's no. fine. Yes, <laughs> but you're no, talking no. about A L O T, which okay. is not a word. <laughs> there needs to be a space in there. It's not even uh, what did you call it? A non-standard word? No, it hasn't made it in there. <laughs> no, I, not to my knowledge. Not, At that checked. point, I think it's a colloquialism. Yeah, isn't I it? haven't I haven't checked lately, but no, I'm pretty sure it doesn't appear even in the most uh, generous and tolerant dictionaries. But, Leon, to throw Sam's words back at you, because while I am intolerant of a lot of this stuff, and and you're right, I am whichever one of the iptives you said I am, I'm actually really happy for this conversation because I really don't mind the perspective of, well, if it makes sense and if it gets the point across and you understand it, then then maybe that is good enough in some circumstances. And 10 years ago, I would have told you to go jump. But since having kids and trying to work out the English language with them, the amount of times I've said to them, look, you're just going to have to know this word. It's just how it is. And you need to know the difference between there and there and two and two and, you know, all, all the other, because that's just how it is. If you've come to this country not knowing English at all or knowing it you wow. know, uh, on a very, very small scale, it, it'd just be a lifetime of landmines, wouldn't it, to try and figure it out? And then you've got the, the Aussie accent and the Aussie accepted words within that. It is, uh, it's definitely challenging. But, look, I, I don't know. I just feel like a custodian of the English language, <laughs> you know, and I know I'm fighting a losing battle. I know that. But when text texting <laughs> now dictating how yes you know how things are spelled i think that's I think- a bit of a fallacy leon i'm yet to see an example of someone who is truly trying to communicate in a 
say, in a professional sense and they resort to text speak. I think that's a, a little bit of a... I mean, I'd be happy to see if you've got any examples you can send me. I welcome examples. <laughs> well, you've laid down the challenge for me. I, I just feel that, I don't know, I just, when I text, I, it's like I'm writing. Mm. Yes. You know, there are no I, shortcuts. There are no, okay, uh, em, emoticons have, you know, obviously. Uh, well, they add some useful. value in they certain circumstances. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Goodness me. Um, yeah, no. I but do you remember so. in the early days of texting where it was it was very costly and that's why people would use the True. letter U instead of Y-O-U. Now it's open slather. You know, we can, we can mm. make our texts as long as we like and I think maybe it is, a, I dare I say, a bit of an age thing because I certainly write in full sentences and full paragraphs, but uh, <laughs> I notice that my children send me a text and they don't just send one, they send you yes. know, 10 texts and there'll be 10, you know, I would have crafted the 10 sentences into one single text, but they, yes. they send it as several messages. So I think that's a bit of an age thing. Maybe. Yeah, and and I I completely agree with that because I've got nieces and nephews who do the same thing. And at first, I was like, "What is wrong with these kids? Like they send you, you know, six separate texts for one mm. line." And then, yeah, it, I think it does come back to the fact that you got these twenty dollar all you can eat phone plans now. So uh-huh. there is no there's no uh, cost implication by doing that. Yeah, but I also think it's it makes it a bit more of a conversation because when you and I are having a conversation, we're not just having I have a monologue and then you have a monologue. Yeah. We're having I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something, I add something, you know. So the, and the then text I say, lol. messages lol. are um, <laughs> <laughs> the text with the 10 separate messages are probably more akin to a, a normal natural conversation than the kinds of texts that Leon and I are sending, which are a bit more like a formal uh, mm. communication. Maybe. Well, thank you for not including me in the old person uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be more flexible, Pete. Uh, <laughs> but let, uh, let's change the subject a little bit and, and talk about food. Now, you, 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 do you still write for Qantas or you used to write I for do. Qantas? I do. I do still write for Qantas. Uh, there's wow. actually a, a story in the August issue uh, wow. where I have written about beautiful Darwin and some of the places that I love in Darwin. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I still, I still write for Qantas when they ask me to, yeah. But obviously and restaurant reviews have not been a big thing in the past 18 months. No. Okay, so what? Um, f- why did you become interested in food beyond sustenance? <laughs> well, look, I think I always have been interested in food. My parents uh, were both, well, my mum still is, very good cooks. Uh, Dad was one of these people who would sort of do everything from scratch. You know, he'd make his own coconut milk and, uh, mm. you know, make tomato sauce. And, you know, he'd just make his own beer. Um, uh, you know, I just grew up in a family where there was always really good good food uh, and I guess living in different places, we would always, you know, we had quite a broad sort of um, 
diet. Uh, and yeah, I've just, I've just always loved food and continue to love food. And the more I learn about it, the more I love about it. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to talk about food. My friends now know that if they say to me, you know, we're talking about our weekends and they say, oh yeah, went out for dinner. I'll say, oh, where did you go? (laughs) (laughs) So they know now to remember those details. Um, uh, yeah, I just, it, I just find it so fascinating. It's there's so many aspects to it um, that uh, tell you so much about people and cultures and the time that we live in. Um, it's just a wonderful window into so many aspects of life. So, do you um, do you keep any of uh, your favourite hotspots quiet? when it comes to publishing in the Qantas magazine so that next time you turn up to get a table, it's not (laughs) going to be packed out. Well, look, I have to say that, um, and Leon and I have had this conversation about our favourite Luxa places, Mm -hmm. and we were, Leon and I were judges at the the Golden Bowl Luxa competition um, fellow judges, and it was blind tasting, of course. It was all perfectly, uh, you know, fair and, and anonymous. Um, but I did tell Leon where my favourite Luxa stall is at Parat Markets. <laughs> and I sort of, <laughs> I, I often think, oh, I don't want to tell people because I don't want the lines there to be too long. <laughs> okay, good. But uh, but I might, as well, I might as well uh, say it because I got a feeling that it's going to be named in an upcoming issue of Qantas uh, magazine. Um, so my favourite Luxa stall is Yarty's and I know uh, at Parap <laughs> <laughs> and I know Mary's, uh, she does wonderful Luxas and has many, many fans yeah. uh, and it would be really good if everyone could still keep going to Mary's so that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so the queues are shorter at Yarty's. <laughs> um, and I, I mean I love because I've been here for so long. I love the fact that Yati's Luxa is the um, the predecessor of Yati's was Jackie's Luxa, and Jackie was from the Ron made Luxa at the Rendezvous. That's right. And ah. so the Rendezvous Luxa is kind of related to the Yati's Luxa. Like yeah. I just love the right. whole family tree aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a hybrid version. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, but uh, who would have thought that laksa would be the, the you know, the, the, the dish of the Northern Territory or at least of, of, of Darwin? Oh, you know? I, well, I think it makes perfect sense. It's, um, uh, you know, it's, well, it's, you know, Malaysian, Nonya, Singaporean, the I know a lot of the Thai stalls at the markets do their versions as well. Um, and it's just so, you know, the territory, Darwin is, is, feels like such a part of Asia. Like it, to me, it just feels so appropriate. And I mean, we don't do things the normal way here. So, <laughs> you know, Saturday brunch, yeah. Alexa at, for at markets that to me that's like the perfect thing to have um you know you can keep your smashed avo i'll, I'll have a luck <laughs> fantastic so have you traveled to southeast asia and tried luxor over there 
Well, I haven't because I'm actually allergic to prawns. I'm allergic to, to crustaceans. So I do need to be a little bit careful about what I eat um, when I'm in in those places. And I know there's a little bit of um, shrimp paste in the, in the yeah. luxes, and that's fine. Um, but a couple of the luxes that I've sort of tried to have in Singapore, they were very, very prawny. So I just kind of uh. say um, but I do love to travel and one of my favourite things about travel is food. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just I love travelling and, and trying new cuisines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The holidays are really about, um, you know, what are we going to eat? Let's walk to the next place. Oh, what are we going to eat now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What's your... Um What's, what's your favourite place in Darwin? And, of course, we know the big name restaurants that get lots of coverage, but where's somewhere that's, uh, you know, a real up-and-comer or somewhere that you just love to go that people wouldn't know about or wouldn't think oh, about? Let me think. You're really putting me on the spot here. Um, and given that we were just talking about places that, you know, we don't want them to get to. <laughs> <laughs> Go your top two, not your top one. <laughs> um, well, look, I, I wouldn't say that this is, uh, you know, a, a secret at all, but mm. one of my, my favourite lunch place would have to be Sumatra Cafe. Okay. I, I really love the food there. Uh, I really... Oh, stop, stop, stop. Sumatra Cafe, which one is that one? That's the one off the mall. You might be a Surrey Rasa man, maybe. Sumatra off the mall. So uh, I think it's in. Um, do you remember, do you know where roast duck and noodle used to be? Used to be. Uh, no, I'm getting. I'm trying uh, to think what's at the front. Um, raw bean espresso ca- uh, cafe uh, is at the front of the arcade. Okay, is that where Mum Three Mums Kitchen? Yes, opposite, opposite Three Mums. Opposite Three Mums. Okay, that's. Mm, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's where I go for my Indonesian food as well. Yes. Um, very now, wise. What exactly do you order from that place? That's what I really want to know. Okay. So my favourites are the chilli eggplant. <gasps> you have to go at the right time because if you go too late, it's not there. But then if you go a little bit later, sometimes there's a second batch coming out. Mm. I love the dried beef and potato. It's oh, my like- God. You are like my soulmate of food. <laughs> that is exactly my f- two favourite dishes from that place. I exactly, the dried beef, that, yeah. the, the dried beef yeah. Yeah. and the eggplant. Yeah. I and also, those are the only two dishes that are off on the side. Because yes, they, and they sell out quickly, don't they? But I also really love the stir-fried tempeh. Now, I love tempeh and I think it's very much underrated. Okay. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's just like vegetarian crap, but it's quite <laughs> delicious. Um, <laughs> I like the chili beans. Um, yes. And yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, I mean, I, I do eat meat, obviously, but I love my vegetables. So you'll notice that the, most of the dishes that I've mentioned are the mm. vegetable, vegetable dishes, but the dried beef and potato, how good is that? It's like, <sighs> I describe it to people as being like, like beef jerky and potato chips, but fried up together and <laughs> yeah. very spicy. It's so good. <laughs> it's really good, Pete. I'm just so shocked, Sam. Like you're, all the dishes that you're selecting, including Yati's, like, I mean, that's 
and I often look at people and they say, you know, something else, and I'm and I'm just looking at them thinking, thinking how can we be friends? Like you know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) We had a very famous uh, singer from Ludmilla who is uh, so famous that she has over a billion downloads. Yes. On Spotify, her name is Bassy. Bassy, yeah, yeah. And she, we had on the on, on this podcast, and we asked her, of course, like, what's your favorite thing to do at Perrupt Markets? And yeah. Mary's Luxa. At, yeah. at no argument. There is yeah. no no compromise. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fine. The more people who go to Mary's, <laughs> that's, that's, right. Right. that's right. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, Pete was asking about um, food uh, anywhere else. Um, I'm trying to think of the lesser known places. Um, I really love the um, Golden Star Chinese at Wagaman. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've got to write that down now. And and in fact, um, I was introduced to, uh, there's three really good Chinese restaurants out, Anula, Wagaman, And if you didn't know they were there, you'd never yeah. see them. And yeah. all of them do the best dishes. Yeah. It's such so what are they duck. famous for? Or duck? Oh, well, I love their duck. Um, right. and the their duck is fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's BYO and massive laminex tables with lazy yes. food. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you can get a pizza as well. Uh, <laughs> um, that's not that one, but no, I know that's the one for it, right? <laughs> so, so, Sam, let me tell you something about that. <laughs> Saturday uh, last, um, I took my son to basketball in Marara and then uh, because we live in Palmerston, Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, we're out this way. Uh, my wife actually said to me, oh, look, why don't we order Ming Court? Mm. Now, Ming Court is where we had our reception. Oh. Back in the day when it was in Casuarina, yeah. that huge premises. Yeah. Um, uh, Richard owned it. I don't know what his last name is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they were always famous for their roast, sorry, their, their duck in plum sauce that was oh. like, the bee's knees. Anyway, um, they're the ones that have the pizza. Yes, uh, that's right. right. The, yeah. the Chinese yeah. food on pizza. Where, where else do you get that in Australia? <laughs> <laughs> I must anyway. say I'm, I'm a little bit of a purist uh, mm-hmm. in those terms. You know, I, I agree with um, Jimmy Shu who says that um, fusion food is often confusion. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. Okay. Yeah, um, you're happy with irregardless, but you won't have Chinese food on pizza. <laughs> right. I actually well, I'd probably it. taste it once, just well, for, I, just for research purposes. I haven't been to Ming Court. I think in probably a good ten years. Right. So I went there on Saturday. The Chinese food on pizza is gone. Not that I was going to order it anyway. Yeah. But I also found out that the, the restaurant has changed hands twice. Oh wow. So um, Richard wasn't there. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I must I must go and check this Golden Star out. Now, now what do you – so the duck is famous there. Yeah, the duck what is about, great. What about uh, Hingston? I, I was told that that's yeah. a place. Hingston's Yeah, great. I've actually heard good things about yeah. it as well, but, but I haven't been there because I can't go past 
Golden Star. Ah, right. Interesting. But I will again. Like for research. Yeah. So my my Hingston research and Ming Court research tells you that they vie for, they do the crispy beef. I think it's in plum sauce as well. But their their two their big dishes are the crispy beef, and it, it I can't go past them whenever I go there. Um, Absolutely beautiful. Okay. All right, I'll keep right. that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you're prepared to venture pa- past the Berrima line, yeah. Um, <laughs> The Chinese restaurant out here, Red Lantern. Oh, is now where's that? Uh, that's in the right in the city. Somewhere. That's in the CBD. Of oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, next to Sexy Land, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really handy. <laughs> um, yes, really good. Really good. Uh, really good uh, what do you call it? What was that beef you just mentioned there, Pete? Crispy beef. Crispy beef. Yeah, yeah. fantastic crispy beef. Uh, yeah, a, lo- a lot of really good dishes. But, gosh, it makes such a difference when the chef goes on holiday, doesn't it? Oh, it does, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the consistency is not quite there. But I'm, I must say uh, Chinese food generally is is not my favourite, but I nice. do love in, in Singapore, I love the Sichuan Chinese food that you get in, mm-hmm. in Chinatown there with the with the, the Sichuan peppercorns that have that amazing kind of tingly effect. Like it's very, very spicy but really, mm-hmm. really good, yeah. Yeah, you haven't tasted Sichuan. to getting Sichuan. back to Singapore. <laughs> well, you haven't tasted Sichuan food until you go to China and and I can assure you, uh, I spoke about this on a previous podcast yeah. or two, I had Sichuan, I don't know what, um, but my I, I literally couldn't feel my tongue. It was completely <laughs> gone. It was just numb. The tingling had stopped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yes. <laughs> I haven't been to China, but uh, but I do love, um, uh, yeah, Singapore and Japan is another one of uh, oh, our favourite places. Yeah. Talking about Japan, where's a good place to get Japanese food here in, in Darwin? Oh, um, Look, the the place at the end of the mall is quite good. The, I think it's called Itchy Something. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Next to um, um, Ruby's. Yes, that's the one. Yes. Um, but I must say when I have Japanese here, it just makes me too sad because I can't be in Japan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, that was one of the trips that we had last year that was that was cancelled. Uh, you know, I know there's so many sad stories. I'm not going to do a big sob story about it, but um, but I would love to have a trip to Japan again. Yeah. Right. So, so Sam, given your um, like I said earlier, you're, you're uh, I guess quite accepting with the butchering of our fair language. Uh, how do you go with the chicken schnitzel and avocado sushi? Um, look, I'm not a fan, but it's not because of the, you know, confusion. (laughs) It's it's just that I tend to prefer, you know, traditional vegetables and fish and Mm, yeah, mm, yeah. But but I can, but uh, you know, have, have you been to Japan? I have not, no. Yeah. I mean, they very, very accepting of any kind of variations on that, you know. Oh, that's cool. You know, talking about the, the Chinese food on pizzas, I mean, you go to restaurants in Japan and there'll be, you know, Japanese, you know, seafood, um, sorry, seaweed um, slivers on top of the pizza and, and mm. that, like, that will be totally fine and it actually is fine. It's, yeah. I've got a very... Um, 
sort of open-minded attitude to uh, doing variations on their food and other cultures' food. So there'll be you yeah. know, master dishes that have the, you know, the salmon and the fish roe and the, the shredded uh, seaweed on top and, you know, it'll be delicious. Oh, wow. They just kind of do everything quite well. So yeah. uh, I've, you know, from that perspective, I would have no problem with the chicken schnitzel and avocado. <laughs> I know that the Japanese wouldn't have, you know, unless it was a very high-end traditional restaurant, your average Japanese person in the street would would be, yeah, bring it on. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, so you've been to Japan how many times? Um, I think it's... I think last year was going to be our fifth visit. Wow. It's wow. a little bit addictive. Yes. Uh, it's actually an amazing country. Mm. Mm. Really. And, and, and you, just the whole family goes? Uh, well, our kids are adults now, uh, but we have had one trip with them. They they came with us as, as adults and they really loved it as well. Uh, we actually, on one of our trips, we ended up in this little tiny bar and little and little town and it was just before Halloween and of course the Japanese <laughs> get right into Halloween. Um and we noticed a sign saying uh you know Halloween party. Tiny little bar. So we bought tickets <laughs> and then we thought oh we better go and get some costumes. We went on a train to the nearby city and got ourselves some costumes and came back into this tiny little bar. I only had room for about a dozen people. And there were all these Japanese people there in various, you know, dressed like a mummy and there was hmm. a, no word of a lie. There was a Buddhist monk in there with a pretend fake knife through his head. That was <laughs> um, outfit. And we got to know these people uh, over the course of this Halloween party in this tiny little bar. Uh, there was a stockbroker. There was the Buddhist monk. It sounds like a joke, but this is true. <laughs> um, there was a man who owned a parking lot. There was a man who was some kind of executive in a steel company in Tokyo. Anyway, we became such good friends over the, the course of the night. They said, oh, you must come. They took us out for sushi. They said, you must come back you know, come back again and we say we said, Oh yeah, we'll come back with our children. Anyway, the next year we did. We went back there with our children to this little bar and uh the same crew came <laughs> the steel man came down from Tokyo and it was just wonderful. It was um wow. you know that it's those kinds of experiences that you you can't anticipate and it's just such a a wonderful surprise. You just know that something wonderful like that is going to happen when mm. you when you go to Japan. That's certainly been our experience. Mm. And where was this exactly? Which part of Japan was this? Uh, it was on Honshu, um, so the, the main island. It was about three hours by train south of Tokyo. Um, That's almost uh, Hiroshima, so it's isn't it? It's probably about halfway between Tokyo and Hiroshima, I think. Yeah. Right. Have you been there, Leon? Have you? I've been once, uh, but yeah. I could easily go back five times. Um, yeah. Uh, and I did not have a bad meal. There. Yeah. It's hard to get back. <laughs> and I didn't have sushi once. I, 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 yes. couldn't, I just couldn't get around to doing it, you know. That's that's right. I was really scared before our first trip that the food was going to be, I was thinking, oh, sushi, noodles, you know, tempura, well, I'm going to get sick of this pretty quickly. Um, but 
did not get sick of the food. There's so much variety. Yes. It's, it's and even wonderful. the 7-Elevens, you know, where you can <laughs> yes. go in there and buy alcohol. Amazing like, sandwiches. You know. Yeah. And <laughs> sushi and, yeah. We, we drove. We hired a car and wow. drove around. Um, so adventurous. Uh, last time we were there. And it was fantastic. It was so easy. We had a GPS and, of course, the drivers are so polite and it was. Hmm. It meant that we could go to some places that weren't the kind of, you know, big tourist places with international tourists. But we went to some places where there were lots of domestic tourists, which always makes things mm. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and language wasn't a problem? Well, it, it was. I mean, there was very little English spoken, uh, but... You know, we muddled through. You know, sometimes we'd, you know, you'd point to things on the wall and say that you wanted that. And a couple of places had little devices and, yeah, we'd, we'd muddle through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just incredible. I mean, just everything, the way it's wrapped up and presented. Mm. I mean, uh, did you have you, but you obviously would have gone up to Sapporo there as we well. We did, yes. Yeah, we had um, the rail passes so you could yeah. travel long distances in Great comfort, really. Yeah. And speed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and Sapporo is amazing, isn't it? Oh my goodness! Just uh, the things that you you think are good here, yeah. Uh, and then you go to Japan, and you think, oh my god, this is like a completely different level of food. Yes. Uh, cheesecake. I mean, yes. I'm not a big fan of cheesecake, to tell you the truth. Oh. I don't really like it, but. Trying the cheesecake in Japan, I mean, you just want to eat the whole damn thing. It's so <laughs> good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a sweet tooth generally, but right. I will always have the desserts in Japan because they're just lovely. They're, they're, they just do everything so well. That's, yeah. I'm ice cream, uh, you know. Oh, the, the ice cream on Hokkaido. So um, <laughs> I, I was quite surprised to discover that in Hokkaido there's, uh, you know, such a strong dairy industry and so they have good cheese, they have good ice cream and it's really what a treat oh. to be on a, on a snowy day in Sapporo <laughs> eating, yes. a, eating yes. an ice cream that doesn't melt. What a treat for a okay. Darwin person. That's fantastic. And, uh, like, I mean, I said to Pete, I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned this previously as well, Pete, but the milk, mm. like I, I've always liked milk, you know, because... I was born in Malaysia and growing up there, you had powdered milk or you had oh. the evaporated mm. stuff. It was crap. And I came to Australia and I was like, oh, my God, this is real milk and it's <laughs> fantastic. What a treat. But uh, in Japan, the milk is just so white and just yeah. so incredibly creamy. Uh, I've never tasted milk like that here in Australia. Uh, and mm. we're at dairy country <laughs> dairy producing yeah. country we export our stuff true yeah so i don't know how they do it but they are just utterly amazing um did you go to kyoto yes we did we're on one of our one or two of our trips went to kyoto that's um uh, the market there is really good the, i think it's in yes. the shike yes. market yes. it's, yes. it's yes. amazing um and that bamboo forest i oh, mean they're, yes. they're kind of really quite I, sort of touristy things, but definitely well worth doing. Oh, yes. Um, but, but we were blown away by the, the station at Kyoto. I mean, that's did you did you remember the railway station at Kyoto? It's like 
10 stories with department stores and, you know, people would get married there at the, at the train station. <laughs> it was like a real destination in its own right. Right. No, <laughs> like I just remember getting onto the, uh, the, the Shinkansen, which is the yeah. bullet train, and, it, 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 you know, it runs like a Swiss clock, so you don't yeah. have time to muck around. And yeah. It's pretty amazing, yeah. yeah. So, in short, Peter, we strongly recommend that you go to Japan. I love it. <laughs> we do recommend that. Um, I can't book at the moment, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> it's on the bucket list. I've always wanted to walk yeah. across that crazy uh, pedestrian crossing. Yeah. Can we can we uh, give a few more shout-outs to a few other places to eat here in, in Darwin, Sam? How about the uh, oyster bar? Oh, well, you I can't eat oysters. There. No, I can. It's oh, only okay. crustaceans that I can't eat, and I do I do like oysters, but I haven't eaten at the oyster bar for ages. Actually, um, is that one of your favourites, Leon? Well, I'd never. I walked past it fifty times to go down to the end, Wharf yeah. One, and um, my daughter bought us uh, a dinner there for our wedding anniversary last month, mm. and hadn't been. So I thought, okay, well, let's give this a go. Sam, it is really, really good. And what's surprising is the non-seafood that mm. is really good there. I don't know if you tried the pork belly there. No, I haven't. Okay. But I, I will. I highly okay. recommend it. It's on my list. <laughs> highly recommend it. In fact, we should uh, we should start like a, a, a foodie thing, you know. Have you noticed that there's somebody that's blogging on Darwin Food? Is it? Yeah, there are. there's a few bloggers. I mean, that, that would be my... Um, yeah, I would, I would love to do a food podcast. That that would be that would be great. That would be one of one of the things that I would really like to do. Yeah, that might be might be next. Yeah, well, like we might have just be revealed that tonight. Well, Pete, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what I want to do in my retirement. Okay, I, w- I want when obviously when everything opens back up, I'd like to take people on a food safari to Asia. Okay, like right. it. Particularly Malaysia because that's yep. what I know. Yep. Uh, and when people talk about laksa, Sam, for example, oh. um, you go to Malaysia and depending on where you are, you can have Johor laksa, oh. you can have Sarawak laksa, oh. you can have Penang laksa, it's just Singapore laksa, it's all different oh. and all amazing. Well, when you do that, I will come on one of those food safaris and you can make sure that my luxes have no prawns in them. <laughs> <laughs> and you're definitely going to need to record it all, so you'll need a sound and editing guy to come yeah, in. Yeah, that's I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fascinating having you on the podcast, Sam. It's, uh, and Pete, thanks very much for the suggestion because I didn't know I was going to get a foodie in the deal. <laughs> uh, and it's been a while since we've had a foodie on the podcast, so um, it's been tremendous. And, in fact, I've actually opened up your article there. It is in the August, which is this month's That's edition correct. of the Qantas yeah. uh, In-Flight magazine. I'll and pick it up Sam, on the way back. Sam yeah. is well, there. It's, it's not on uh, planes uh, this month, but next month the, from September the magazine will be back on planes. So. Okay. Um, yeah, so keep that in mind. But people can certainly do a Google search for, you know, Qantas August Darwin if they want to read the read the yeah. article. Yeah. There's a digital version too, isn't there? There is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with both of you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for coming on. That was Sam McHugh on the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you again next time. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.